God cares deeply about our attitude. And the truth is that often our attitude could use some adjustment. Even in the best of circumstances, a good attitude does not come naturally. But we can replace complaining with thanksgiving, covetousness with contentment, criticism with love, and adjust our attitudes to honor Him. In this study, Lord, change my attitude based on the Israelites' life in the wilderness. We will learn how our attitudes can keep us in the wilderness or allow us to enjoy the blessings of the promised land. One of you, and welcome to each one of you that are watching us through Facebook this morning. We very much appreciate each time that you log on and comment and let us know um, that you are part of what we're doing in worship. So God bless you, and again, thank you to each one of you. Let's take our Bibles and let's just do a little journey this morning to catch us up. Remember, we're walking with the children of Israel in the wilderness. And with the children of Israel in the wilderness, we have seen that they developed five attitudes that were not pleasing to God. In fact, those attitudes angered God. We have seen that they complained. We have seen that they coveted. Last week we saw that they became critical. And what we've tried to do each week is when we saw the attitude that was displeasing to God, we tried to find a place in Scripture where we could find the antidote, if you will, to that. In other words, if it was complaining, then gratitude. If it was coveting, then it was generosity. Last week was critical And this week we will say that the New Testament antidote to a critical attitude about other people is love. Now, yes, it is pretty cool that on the week of Valentine's Day that we are studying the thought of, and we're actually going to be in 1 Corinthians 13 where we talk about God's love. But before we get there, I want to just make some comments. The first thing that we would see, and it has been kind of in every, the thread in every one of our messages, has been that those who choose murmuring, everybody say it with me, murmuring. This just kind of sounds nasty, doesn't it? Just like murmur, murmur, murmur. Those who choose murmuring as their lifestyle will spend their lifetime in the wilderness. Now, lest we think that God just says, yeah, it's an attitude, so what? I want you to see something. Turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 26. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses. Now you remember last week when we were talking about that critical attitude and it said, And the Lord spoke to Moses. He said that, Most of the time when I spoke to the prophets, it was in a dream or a vision, or I spoke to them in some secret kind of way. But when I spoke to Moses, I did it face to face. So man, you're talking about a pretty important conversation here. God talking to Moses. We often say, I heard the voice of the Lord. And then somebody will say, well, not audibly. They always want to clarify that. But no, this time, audibly. Moses heard from the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation 
who complain against me. That's the attitude, complaining. And that one word complain here encompasses all of these five attitudes that we're going to look at. How long will I bear with them? I've heard their complaints, which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. And this is what he says, I'm going to do because of your complaining. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. All of you who were numbered, remember when they left Egypt? They numbered them so that they would know what it was. The estimate that we can best guess today is somewhere around 2 million. It says that all of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, why would those two not be numbered? Because remember when the 12 spies went into the promised land and they looked around and everybody was like, "Woo!" And 10 came back and said, we can't do it. And 2 came back and said, we got this. Joshua and Caleb were the two that said, we got it. So because of their faith, they are not in those that are numbered. Except for them, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. Attitudes matter to God. How I think, how I talk, how I react, how I respond It matters. And God says, and when you do it and you think you do it in secret, guess what? I got you. I heard it. I caught that. Have you ever been in a mall and you're with your children or your grandchildren and there's a whole lot of noise going all around you and then all of a sudden out of nowhere you hear, Mama, Daddy, and out of all those voices you go, whoa, except for me. My kids say mama, I mean not mama, they say daddy to me, mama to Gil. They say daddy to me and I don't hear it and so you'll hear them go, Chris! And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I get that one. But God says, I hear. Now, last week we talked about that critical attitude. We found it in... Um, Where did we find it? We found that in chapter 12, verse 1. So I want to show you the attitude that we're trying to combat this week, okay? It's in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 1. Then Miriam. Who is Miriam? Moses' sister. And Aaron? Moses' brother. So we got a little family squabble going on here, right? Big brother's getting something good, and they're like, I want some of that. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord... Now see, that's just a side note. Several came up afterwards and asked me, did I think there was some hint or element of racism here in that they were saying, this is the Ethiopian woman. I don't think that's the point here. I think the point is they needed a reason to gripe and they didn't have anywhere to gripe but over the wife. So they said, ah, he married her. But that's just the, the thing that they felt like, okay, I'm justified. 
So the real point here is this. The real point is, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? You see, you cut that out and then you find out what it is. It's jealousy. They are jealous of the fact that Moses is getting the attention. And the Lord heard it. Now Moses, the man Moses was very humble, more humble than all the men who were on the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three. I bet Moses was like, what did I do? Man, I'm just out here leading all these people the way you told me to do it, and they're over there griping, and now I got to go too? Yeah. Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. And then he said, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. I will speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And when he sees the form of the Lord, then why were you not afraid to speak against my servant so the anger of the Lord burned against them so that's the attitude it's an attitude of critical now I don't know about you but do you ever battle a critical attitude get in a drive-thru and you see somebody like sitting there knowing they were going there long before they pulled up to that spot and they got to say may I help you and they go um If I get behind one that has an um in it, I just go ahead and take my phone out because we know we're going to be there a second. And then I want to start criticizing, like, go ahead and order. I really want to get on the horn and, like, go knock on their window. Can I order for you? I get critical of those things at times. Lord says, I don't really want you to be critical. He says, what I really want you to have is an attitude of love. Criticism is to dwell on the perceived thoughts of another with no view to their good. I'm just going to gripe. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to gripe. And I'm not just going to gripe to me. I'm probably going to gripe to somebody else. It's really not fun to gripe in your own mind, by the way. You know that, right? Because it's like just you having a conversation with yourself. Not fun. But... Hey, Margaret, let me tell you about Lindsay. Now, that gets good, right? Because now, and you're like, oh, don't tell anybody. I won't. Oh, you know, we're just going to pray about it. Yeah. Ooh, yes. So, it says, to dwell on the perceived thoughts of another with no view to their good. So, to counter that, now let's take our Bibles. Let's turn over to the book of 1 Corinthians. And Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, is telling us about this church. And and what we learn about this church is that all all truth and no love is brutality. All truth, no love, brutality. What are some of the things that we learn? The good and the bad of this Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 1 7 would tell us that they had many spiritual gifts. If you go through the scripture and you try to count all of them, there's about 21 different gifts that you find. And it says that this church 
had them all. Somebody in it had them. So that means that if there was a spiritual need, a spiritual thing that needed to take place, somebody in that church was gifted to do it. 1 Corinthians 11, 2 says that they had good doctrine, meaning that they had heard the word, interpreted the word accurately, and were applying it solidly in their daily lives as the church at Corinth. But in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2, this is what it tells us. That they lacked love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. It's amazing to me, I'm teaching two different studies right now. One is not I but Christ based on Galatians 2.20. And I'm teaching through this series and both of them this week wound up on 1 Corinthians 13. But he says, I have become sounding brass, metal spoon, kid in the floor, big old pot, clang, 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 clang. He says, that's what we are, no matter what we have, no matter how we speak, no matter how eloquent we, we code it and all of these things. He says, if we can do it all, but we don't have love, we are just noise in God's ears. Let's keep reading. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Somebody say zero. Yes, zero. If I have all of that and I don't have love, I am nothing. So therefore, what we can ascertain from the Scripture is God doesn't like it when we're critical, when we're criticizing others, when we're dwelling on their perceived thoughts with no view for their good. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like it just because we are able to speak and talk and do what we want to do, but we don't have love. He says, that's nothing to me. So the important word for the church here is we better figure out how to love one another. And then Paul goes into what I think is a wonderful definition. Bless you. Yes, ma'am. He goes into a wonderful definition of what love is. But the first thing he does by telling, to help us understand what love is, he shows us what love is not. And so in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul shows us perfect love. And from the negative side of it, Paul says to us that love does not envy. Love does not parade it. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not easily provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. That's what he's teaching us. And he says, so if you want to understand what love is, let me show you what it's not. And then, I think this is where we adopt the mind of David, the, the pattern of David. It says, God, search me. God, am I envious? Am I parading it? Am I puffed up? Am I behaving rudely? Love does not seek its own. It's not easily provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. 
You know, when you talk about love in the Bible, there's four words for it. There is eros, that's erotic love, intimate love, sexual love. There is philio, that's brotherly love, Philadelphia. There's a word called storhe in the Greek. It's a familial love. It's the love that you have for your mom, your dad, your children, that type of love. It's family love. And then there's agape love. And I'm sure that's a word that everybody has heard or at least they're familiar with. Agape love is unconditional love. It is the me, you before me, not me before you. It is you before me love. It's the love that is that will sacrifice. It's the love that will forgive. It's the love that will lay down their life for another. <clears throat> Let's turn right quick to 1 John. I think maybe, again, this is, this is one of those times we can let the Scripture help us understand it. If we want to know what love is. Paul has already told us what love isn't. He is going to tell us what love is. But I also want us to let John tell us what love is. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. <clears throat> Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. So if we're going to love, then we've got to recognize something is that love is of God. It is a supernatural, divine act. In ourselves, we do not love. But in Christ, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In love, in Christ, we're able to love. Beloved, love, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Drop down to verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. A supernatural work. The supernatural work takes away the negative things that Paul says love is not. But a supernatural love inserts in us what Paul says that love is. So let's look at it now from the positive. All of this we find in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says that love suffers long. Love is kind. Love rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. So you see that this love that, 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 this love that Paul is talking to us about this love that John described that says that it comes from God. It comes from our choice to abide in Christ. Because the moment that I take my eyes off of Jesus, the author of my faith, the perfecter of my faith, the finisher of my faith, I begin to work in what would be known as my carnal self. Born again, relationship with God, going to heaven, but now I'm the one on the throne. And at the moment that I get on the throne of my life, 
I began to seek the things in my life that satisfy me. And Paul says, love does not do this. Paul says, love does do that. John says, none of it's going to matter if you can recite the definition eloquently. But if you do not abide in Christ, if you do not abide in God, if you're not confessing your sin, if you're not bowing your head and praying, if you're not seeking His truth through His Word, He says, you are nothing but noise. And ladies and gentlemen, hear me. Everybody in this room and anybody you can pull up in history save Christ alone is capable of not loving but through Christ is enabled to love. It is there. So, so the love that God is speaking to us about here is a sacrificial love. We would know that no greater love has any man that would lay down his life for another. We know that's Jesus. Then if we go to Galatians, Galatians, Galatians 2.20, we hear that um, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and... Gave his life for me. It's a sacrificial love. And sometimes we think no greater love has any man that would lay down his life for another. And we think, surely he's not calling me to die. And I would say, by and large and for the most part, you are absolutely 100% correct. He is not calling you to physically die. But I do believe I have been crucified with Christ means that he is calling us to die to ourselves. What's he calling us to die to? He is calling me to die to envy. He's calling me to die to pride, to being puffed up, to behaving rudely, to, to seeking my own, to being easily provoked and not thinking evil and rejoicing in iniquity. He's calling me to suffer. He's calling me to kindness. He's calling me to rejoice in truth, bear all things. But it's not just Galatians 2.20. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him does not perish, but they have everlasting life. Okay? He gave. Ephesians 5.25 says that Christ loved the church and He gave Himself up for her. So if we're going to be in relationship with God, we have got to give up our right to our life. If we're going to be in relationship with family, we have got to die to our right and privileges. Does not seek its own. If we're going to be in relationship with people in church, then we're going to have to give up our right to the point that we now are working to see other people become all they can in Christ. So that, that has some ramifications to it inside the church. It means that I look to say, on any Sunday that I walk through this door, what can I do 
to make certain that anybody else that walks in these doors today is able to have an experience that allows them to hear God. Because we know that God wants to meet their need. That's not the question. We know that God has already given himself up for them. We know that he has already died for the church. So, and he, we know that he has equipped the church for every good work. And so now all he's waiting for are the willing vessels who will surrender and say, I will be, God, if, if there's a conduit, I want to be it. If there's a bridge that needs to be walked over, then God, let me be that bridge. Whatever it takes, I want to be, God, the one that's available to you. Because now we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. You see, I don't want to be the, the, the block to the person not being able to come to Christ. So Paul says, all truth, and we need truth. Hear me, truth is not bad. Truth is good. Truth hurts, but we need truth. And we all need somebody in our life who will tell us the truth. Don't hear me saying you get rid of truth. No, you better keep truth because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is truth. Doctrine is what guides me when everything around me says, oh, it's okay to do this. And something there inside of me says there's a check. And that check is that maybe it doesn't line up to the truth of God's Word. And I need to go see what God's Word says. Because at the moment that it contradicts God's Word, then now it's sin. So we need to have truth. But we have that truth in love. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 13, he shows us a perfect love. But also in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, and your outline says verse 3, so scratch through the 3 and write an 8. I have terrible proofreading skills, so here we go. Love never fails. Paul shows us dependable love. Love never fails. Agape love never fails. The love of God does not fail. The love of God will take you through the lowest valley and it'll... Sustain you on the highest mountain and sustain you on the climb and the descent. God's love is there. It is perfect. It is always for you. It is never against you. God's love says that I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. God loves, God's love says that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. God's love is real. You can depend on it. Satan will come to you and say, God doesn't love you. You know what you did. God doesn't like you. You remember this. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and you can look at him and say, no, God's love never fails. Now, God, how do I access that love? I access that love by dwelling in Christ, by dying to myself. The life that I now live, I live crucified. God, you said you'll cleanse. God, you said you'll forgive. It's dependable. But listen to me. All love with no truth is hypocrisy. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. And now let's do look at verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. The power is in the balance. 
the power comes from balancing my truth and my love. My balance of speaking to someone and saying, you're headed down a path. Be careful. How do we do that? On the majors, we take action. Is this person at an intersection? Are they at a critical path? Are they in a spot in their life where somebody needs to love them enough to tell them the truth? Is it a chronic problem? I've told you all my grandfather was an alcoholic and he destroyed three marriages. He lived on the street. He lost his children. And one day there was a man that loved him enough that said, you are on a critical path. You are headed down destruction. You will lose it all. You will wind up nowhere. This person looked at him and spoke truth. He realized my grandfather had a chronic problem. It was an addiction to alcohol. But he loved him. He rescued him. He went and said, I'm not just going to tell you that you've got a problem. He said, here's the the issue. Now let me take you to the place where... You can get help. You see, there's two actions there. There's somebody that that had enough love for humanity to go to my grandfather. But my grandfather had also reached the bottom and he knew it was time to cry out to God. I don't even know that he understood it was cry out to God. He just knew it was time to cry out and God was there. God met him in his place. Is it a critical path we need to speak up? Is it a chronic problem? We need to speak up. Are they in close proximity? Wives, you know, sometimes you need to speak up to your husbands. They're in close proximity. Husbands, sometimes you need to speak up to your... The opposite. The wife is in close proximity. Is it your children? You need to speak up. You parents, you need to let... Listen to me. I see a dangerous trend in parenting. That we look and say, my child is always right. Well, you got better children than we had. And I know you got better ones than my mama had. Our children are not always right. Our children need to know that we are for them. Our children need to know that we are in their corner. And that we will love them no matter what. But they are not always right. Sometimes they go against authority. Sometimes they need to be communicated with. Because if we, we can't say that we love them if we are not willing to correct them. Because love without truth is hypocrisy. Where is it? So Paul, he's teaching us. He says, this is what love is. This is the antidote. This is how we come and overcome. Can love be measured? I absolutely believe it can. And you say, help me. All those verses that I just gave you. I have been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave. That's measurable. He gave himself for me. Ephesians would say that marital love can be measured. 
Ephesians, or the scripture would say that parental love can be measured. The book of Acts chapter 2 that would say church love can be measured. It said that there was great fellowship among them. They gave to each other as they had need. Love can be measured. In a life group, love can be measured. In a congregation, love can be measured. No sometimes is a great answer. And we need to love one another. Because I believe as Satan, the scripture says the longer we live, the more Satan's going to rear his head because he knows his his time is short. I believe that inside the church, we better batten down the hatches. We better make our commitments and say, God, you put us together as family and we're going to love each other. Through it all. We're going to love each other. Because Satan loves to attack the unity of the church. Satan loves to attack the unity of the home. And you say, well surely I would never be an agent of Satan in my church. Or an agent of Satan in my home. Do you think Peter ever thought that he would be the one that Jesus looked at and said. Satan get behind me. Any one of us have the capability at any moment to be that person. And the only thing that keeps us from being that person is a sanctified life. A sanctified life is a life set apart. It's not a life that has added to, I have my life and I add God to it. No, a sanctified life is a set apart life. It's a set apart life that says, I will be in the word. I will be in prayer. I will listen to your word. And God, when your word says it's sin, I will surrender it to you. The sanctified life says that, that on my own I cannot, but through the power of the Holy Spirit I can. The sanctified life says, God, I give you permission, as Paul did on the road to Damascus, God, to remake my thoughts, to remake my actions, to remake my attitude. God, I give you absolute permission to change me. The sanctified life looks and says, Jesus, you died for the church. It's one of two institutions that you established. The first one he did in Genesis when he made the home. The second one was in the New Testament when he made the church. And Jesus said that he gave himself for the church. He says, now as I did, you go and do. So we begin to ask ourselves, God, how? How? Show me. God, I'm available. David said, I won't give anything to the Lord that costs me nothing. David understood love was sacrifice. What are we sacrificing to demonstrate the love that Jesus had for us and then put in us and told us to go give it to somebody else? It can be measured. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more, to listen to messages and teaching from Pastor Chris, to contribute through online giving, please visit our website, 
at www.mzbc.org. Thank you for supporting Mount Zion, where you are welcome, wanted, and needed.